Still Riley, as I have been this entire time. I am joined in the studio by Milo. It's me, Milo Edwards, your boy. I met Riley's mum today. That was interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's she like? Hussein. What's she like? What's she like? <laughs> I'd m- much more normal than you would expect. <laughs> there will be no more talk of my family on this podcast, <laughs> or indeed ever. We have Hussein coming in from uh, New York. Or upstate New York. So, so last time I was on, I was in New York City. I was eating bagels. I was looking at rats. People were shouting at me for no reason. Now in I was all, eating rat bagels. Uh, probably, yes. Um, <laughs> now I'm in upstate New York where there, things are much more snowy and cold. Um, I am the only ethnic minority, I think, in this town of 1,200 people. Um, so when I went running this morning, uh, a bunch of trucks, there were because like, there's only like one road, right? Uh, so it's like the running Hussein right. goes running they're like it's 9-11 uh, <laughs> no, you, just have these, you have these trucks which like visibly just slow down right like you can tell there's no reason for them to slow down there's no traffic they're the only trucks on the road <coughs> they slow down watch you run past them and then they drive down um, it's very weird they're like one of our passengers escaped <laughs> just, just um, feel like, uh, hey excuse me um, does every Arab huff and puff so much when he runs <laughs> uh well, they did hate pigs, the Arabs, so that would explain the whole story of the Huffington Famously. Anyway. Yeah. And we have Nate on the ones and twos in the studio with us today, rounding out our cast of TF Classic. Yeah, it's me. It's Nate. Um, so I heard a rumor that somebody listened to the show and said, like, wow, we like the sound quality. Um, I assure you, it's all fake. You're not actually listening to the real trash future. This is just... I've, I've been in here doing some dialing, been in here doing some weird effects... I've been in here banging my head against the keyboard because Riley really wants me to cut out a joke to make it funny, but that's impossible. That's, uh, <laughs> Correct. All uh, everything you like about this show is just in editing. All exactly. of it happens in editing. It's just everything about um, it is me because I'm a genius. Um, and yeah. the rest of these guys don't understand it. So if they ever make fun of me on this show, you need to send them hate mail because otherwise you can go back to the old mm-hmm. audio quality and then you can fucking have your ears bleed. All right. And remember, so, Alex, yeah. and remember you could add Alex Keelia for all the hate mail. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. At Alex Keeley with any complaints. <laughs> yeah. that, anyway. that Brendan O'Neill letter, CGI. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get right into it. Uh, segment number one, we, you know what it is. We're talking about pizza, folks. <laughs> Call me the fucking Ninja Turtles because we're talking oh, about yeah. pizza. Which is code for child sex, just <laughs> yeah, in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, like, keep that in mind. Ordering pizza on the dark web. <laughs> this is going to come up. But uh, we're, we're starting off with, with Riley's startup news corner. Because uh, Zoom, a Z-U-M-E for everyone keeping score at home, uh, is a robotic <laughs> the pizza <Zoom> maker. User. <laughs> yeah, the Zoom user. A robotic pizza making company has now been valued at more than US $2 billion um, thanks to a major cash infusion from tech investor SoftBank, which basically makes it a unicorn. It's fun. cash infusion where you fill your teapot with dollar bills and pour boiling water on them. I mean, it's about as useful. It's, it's about as valuable a use of money as investing in this company. Yo, I don't drink tea. That's for poor people, yo. I drink dollar bill juice. Yo, I never read books because the only paper I touch is money. I'm talking about like green tea. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yo, so basically, Zoom is... 
God damn it. No, something completely unrelated happened. I can go into a bit if you want to hear it. Are you just browsing? No, I was checking my email for a thing related to my work, right? Because I was like, you guys are going to do a bit. And I was like, I need to check something because I'm trying to get Facebook notifications so I can be an administrator on this page to unfuck their problem with a live stream, right? So I was like, I haven't gotten the invite yet. And I was like, maybe it's in my spam. So I opened my spam, which I haven't looked at in a while. And the first email is from me, apparently. (laughs) It's my name. But I go down and I see some stuff, some bullshit. And then there's just one that's uh, tongue emoji, eat pussy tongue emoji. <laughs> Good advice. That's okay, that's better advice than anything we're going to say. I mean, you should turn mm. off this podcast and you should go eat pussy. No, listen to it while you eat pussy. Yeah, no, yes. Listen to this podcast while you eat pussy. I mean, someone out there has listened to the Joe Rogan experience while going down on their girlfriend. And it's like, why not listen to Trash Future instead? No one has ever listened to the Joe Rogan experience while going down on your girlfriend because like that's submission. Oh, I didn't... Re- Honestly, I've never listened to Joe Rogan. Like, I mean, you're a pussy right now, but if you want to, she could choke me out with her thighs. <laughs> okay, yo, so Zoom. Let's talk Zoom. Let's Zoom into Zoom. So basically, it's a fully automated pizza restaurant. Fully Ooh. automated. No human intervention. I love it. Um, Do the robots eat it for you? <laughs> well, let's get to that. Like Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what if a robot? What if a, what if a robot could make you a pizza, but then the robot ate it? Have you, have you seen the size of those robots? They could tear you to fucking shreds. <laughs> Yo, so uh, the co-founder, uh, Susan Collins, says that uh, what's sort of most people often think that the sexy thing about this company is the robots. But actually, their founding idea was cooking on route. Oh, yeah. So like you call for pizza and they start heading your way, but they're making the pizza while they're heading your way. You know how a lot... Like, how do you do that on a moped? Like, <laughs> You know how a lot, a lot of people like to satirize sort of the excesses of Silicon Valley sort of just complete idiocy by saying, oh yeah, it's the Uber for X or the Tinder for Y. It's someone, mm. someone made a joke like, yeah, they're going to do Uber for pizza and then someone invested in it. But isn't Uber for pizza Uber Eats? <laughs> <laughs> I hate to burst that bubble. So basically... No, Uber for pizza is that you, you a pizza comes to your place and then you get inside that pizza box and then it goes, takes you to another place. And, and sometimes multiple people are in that pizza box with you. It's a very normal experience. But mm. I mean, that's the economy we live in. Sometimes so, you got to just ride inside a pizza box. Uh, so Zoom Pizza uses six specially designed delivery vehicles the size of panel vans. Uh, and each one is outfitted with dozens of pizza ovens that can simultaneously reheat hundreds of pizzas so that each one can be f- placed into the box and then delivered. So it takes about sort of 20 minutes uh, thereabouts. Uh, um, so they have no branches. Like the whole thing is just constantly moving around on these trucks. Yes. So basically it's like a pizza version of the villain from GoldenEye. He's just like <laughs> on a train. Like you can't catch me, Mr. Bond. I'm always moving. <laughs> Correct. And well, <laughs> my army of pizza robots will destroy your country and everything you hold dear. Now... Well, they well this sort of the co-founder says they have approximately 115 full-time employees who receive you know health benefits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she says that they're not looking to automate away the entire food industry, but they are interested in covering the entire country in Zoom pizza delivery uh, autonomous vans. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand how that makes any sense because it sounds like if you cover the country in Zoom pizza autonomous delivery vans you would automate away an entire sort of sub-industry. But then all those people will get jobs in building autonomous delivery vans. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, Jeff. Yeah, which th- is just like making pizza. It's exactly <laughs> like it. it. First of all, you take the metal for the van, and then you stretch it out into a big disc, and you throw it up in the air a few times, and then you wipe sauce all over it, and then, and then you do some other stuff, and then you've got a van. Yeah, this is a very much a Elon Musk, Willy Wonka 
uh, approach to creating an automated pizza delivery van. All <laughs> the pizza is made on a very small submarine. I, I have I have a story. I have a story about vans, which isn't necessarily pizza related, but could be applied to this pizza scenario. Sure, so, it's not pizza yeah. related. So, so, it's like a parable. No, no, so, so in Brooklyn, right? Um, apparently, there are these vans that are run by um, Orthodox Jews, and they go around Brooklyn trying to find women who they think are Jewish but aren't religious Jews. And they basically invite them inside their vans where they then try to convince these women that they should be more Jewish. Yes, mitzvah tanks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yes. you know, right? They, they call them they call them mitzvah tanks. Yes, I used to live in a very Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And yeah. um, yes, it was just, they, they, it was just, there's someone on the fellowship with me who was telling me about this, how like she, how like she actually went inside one of these vans for just for like no reason other than curiosity. Oh, and no, they, like, they're real. I mean, and, and, they, and they drove her, they drove her around Prospect Heights just trying to convince her that she should quit her be job. be more Jewish, to be more marry, observant, yeah. Marry an Orthodox Jewish man. And they were like, oh, this guy, you know, he's so cute and like so attractive, and he'll give you like lots of children. Um, so I was just thinking about that in the context of well, <laughs> this is like PUA, but for Orthodox Jews. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's weird. So it's weird sometimes too because they'll drive by and they'll be like playing songs in Yiddish, and so you, you feel like you've just you've just seen like the most haunted ice cream truck in the world because it goes by and it's just like, it's, it, but it's not for you. No, come on, come on. It's it's Orthodox Juber. I'm surprised you guys didn't come up with that already. <laughs> Right. Like, what? I didn't even get that. <laughs> this, um, is, this is this is what if they could fully automate that process? So what? I mean, what if what if what if this is actually a good idea? But what these what the mitzvah tanks needs is number one pizza and number two an Italian driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what because if we could before fully... the mitzvah tanks, they used to rely on mitzvah cavalry charges, which, when put up against the modern machine gun technology, <laughs> were simply a foolhardy endeavor. <laughs> So, so she goes on, our goal was never end-to-end automation, saying, how can we have pizza production that would have no humans? Uh, Colin said, saying that automation allows... <laughs> They're just so delicious. <laughs> automation allows Zoom employees to shift focus from laborious tasks to more creative ones. Um, she adds, our best pizza spinner is happy to work on a menu and ingredient selection. Now, for me, this does actually raise a key question, which is that uh, all of everyone who says, "Oh no, AI will be great for automation, will be great for society. It will free us up from doing boring jobs and open up a lot of like more interesting creative jobs." Like, how many menu and ingredient selectors do you really need? Are you going to be able to retrain the entirety of like America's pizza delivery guys to do that? And more importantly, is there do we just do we need enough of them to do that? There's going to be a lot of jobs for them in porn. <laughs> Those well, guys had practice. <laughs> That, but like this is this is <laughs> like you, you're making a pizza delivery porn film and like you get a real pizza delivery guy because you want it to be authentic and you're like no like tell me like how would it really go down like if you were really delivering this pizza like <laughs> uh, do people say stuff like that I, I wanted this to be gritty <laughs> I want it to be real is that the kind of moped you would use I don't know I'm a porn guy <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a pizza guy <laughs> you're the pizza guy you tell me. <laughs> Are they going to fuck the pizza robots? I don't know. So, right. So aside from being consultants on like hack 80s and 90s porn, <laughs> yeah. like a growth of, market, a growth yeah. market. If this company has its way, then but that's that's going to be the only job left. So never believe a company when they say they're not looking to reduce labor costs by automating an industry and just want to give people more creative jobs. They never actually mean it. They just want to basically create new kinds of underclasses. Um, but here's the thing. 
And here's the wonderful catch. Because uh, we've allocated this company now like $2 billion. That's you know more resources than a good chunk of the world's population. Like, let's say, I don't know, probably the poorest 5% of people maybe have $2 billion together. I don't know. Yeah. Some, some, Andorra, you've not got that kind of cash. Yeah. Right. Vatican City, forget it. And the Vatican City has its own banks. Uh, but given the opportunity, and we've also given them the opportunity to replace a huge amount of the workforce just with um, an automated pizza delivery van. And you know what really tears this for me? Every review of all of this company's pizzas is that they fucking suck. Huge. They're all so basically. How can you fuck up a pizza? Like, if you. It's in the name of progress. I mean, no, I understand this could be a stupid question, right? But it's not really in the sense that, like, if the main main, um, selling point of this service is the fact that, like, the delivery points are supposed to be, like, really innovative, right? Then. You know the pizza. The pizza quality doesn't have to be like superb, right? You can have an average pizza, but if it like delivers on time, you can still make it work. That's why so many shitty pizza places mm-hmm. exist in the UK. So, like the most basic part of like running a pizza service, i.e., can you roll like dough to a fair, like a consistent quality, and can you put tomato and cheese on said dough and bake it for like a couple of minutes? Like they fucked that up. Yes, they fucked that up. Right, they yeah. fucked it up real hard. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is. Fun. I'm just imagining like what kind of like abominations of pizzas are coming out of these vans, like stuff it's, that's it, not even similar to it's, a pizza. It's a very, oh, like, it's, it's, been it's a very standard startup story, though, isn't it? It's kind of like they put so much thought into like the kind of oh, we've really innovated how we deliver pizzas, or like we've really innovated like mm. the door-to-door service, but like the very basic product. They haven't put any thought yeah. to the very basic product. They read, they read a whole book in Japanese about supply chain management. Unfortunately, they read zero books on how to make a fucking pizza. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that so? Th- I think the pizzas might be of a similar quality to uh, the other night. I came home late from They're a gig uh, with. Uh, <laughs> oh, fuck with my uh, with my girlfriend. I have sex, legend. Um, yeah, we came home and uh, and I was like, oh, let's let's pick up some food on the way. And she's like, no, don't worry, we've got a pizza in the freezer. And I'm like, <laughs> great, amazing. I come home and I discover that the pizza in the freezer is a cauliflower-based pizza that she has bought because, quote-unquote, she thought it would be nice. It was the worst thing I have <laughs> ever eaten. I would have been better off eating the fucking box. It came out of the oven. It had curled all around the edges so it had formed a sort of pizza cigar, except to describe it as a pizza cigar would be unfair because there was no pizza involved. It was like a curly cauliflower disc with not enough tomato on it and like one small patch of cheese was, in the it, middle. It was, a, it, was a, it was a cauliflower taco. <laughs> oh god it was really horrendous so that's the thing right the reason that this is terrible is that a pizza delivery van that cooks the pizzas en route isn't a fucking business it's something your four-year-old cousin draws it's a, it's something that you have to like listen to a young relative of yours explain at great length because they've had too much dessert do you reckon that's how they came up with the idea? Just like some startup guy at his like bullshit family Christmas dinner and he overheard this four-year-old going like what if we had a van that made the pizzas inside the van? And he's like, keep talking, kid. <laughs> I got to get all this down. <laughs> he's like getting a dictaphone out, <laughs> making notes. He's like breaking a sweat. He's on the phone like, uh, hey, hey, Jeff. Yeah, it's your cousin Marvin. Marvin Bezos. You know that new business idea you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. 
I think that what if like we had the named after Beatles songs and like you could order them from a phone and it would cook them entirely in a van and then it would just have to resupply and then like what if like John Cena resupplied it every morning? <laughs> John Cena. What? <laughs> John Cena the invisible delivery man. <laughs> and that is a credo I have adopted from the men and women of the pizza delivery forces. <laughs> um, do, do, do a spin off of Paul Blart where you're the pizza delivery guy. Hmm. <laughs> this pizza has been compromised to a permanent end. <laughs> this pizza has been pr- compromised to a permanent end by automation. Yeah, right. But and this is this is the uh, this is the thing, right? This is completely like these are boomers that are running this company. Huge. These are huge. These are fu- these are the youngest boomers that are doing it because only mm. a boomer would have enough like childlike wonder and disposable income to say the following sentence. We want to make sure everyone has access to high quality, affordable food and use technology to solve America's food problem. What what is America's food problem? Is America's food problem that not enough pizza is being made in vans? Because I don't think that's what it was. I'm not sure. I'm pretty dumb, but I'm pretty sure the problem was not like, well, if only we could make stuff in vans, then that would solve all of these issues. You know, suddenly the water in Michigan would be drinkable again. Thank God they came up with this brilliant idea of making pizza inside the back of a van. I'm just really confused by the idea that, I mean... Any good pizza that you ever had has required like people to know what they're doing and also to like have access to the thing. Like unless you have a weird comedy van that also has an enormous, incredibly hot wood fired oven in it, which would make it <laughs> something of a difficult car to drive around. Like a steam powered van. <laughs> exactly. It's like I mean, it, it just it, I can't imagine that it's gonna taste very well good. I mean, like like Milo said, okay, yeah, a cauliflower cardboard pizza made in like a convection oven, like is still it's still identifiable as pizza, but it's it's mm. not going to be good enough. I mean, to warrant all of this production, and it's like I, I guess I, I keep coming back to the point that you made that like everybody was so hung up on the idea of like, what if your car cooked you dinner without even thinking about like it should taste good. You should yeah. want to eat it. Like mm. it, it's got to be better than a pizza that's not made by your car. And it's like this would be successful if. There was a, you know, a nuclear apocalypse and then like there were no cars on the road except for the pizza car. Yeah. But until that day, yeah. if people can choose like the, the, the idea of like it's a pizza from the future versus it's a pizza I want to eat. Like people are going to decide with the pizza they want to eat. Like people aren't going to be like, mm. well, I could call for delivery for the place that gives me food that's normally good. But no, I'd rather have a Jeff Bezos Uber taxi pizza. Mm. Like what? on this week's edition of Black Mirror. <laughs> what, what if you're... What if your van made pizza? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is a this is a concept that as we have increasingly run across it, I've started referring to as Silicon Valley steampunk, where mm. what someone has done is just they've put a lot of unnecessary cogs, levers, and just a little bit of magical thinking into a product, as though that's going to somehow um, somehow create a kind of disruptive wave. When really all, all it's doing is just fucking up a van and fucking up pizzas because it's not even like we didn't have food in vans <laughs> food trucks have been making food like all street food unbearable for years yeah all those vans going around offering people free sweets i mean they're everywhere <laughs> I have, That's a, again different kind of pizza i love I, I i love i love street vans especially ones that will offer me offer me like uh food on the basis that i become an orthodox jew <laughs> so they they actually have orthodox pizza restaurants like kosher pizza restaurants which you can imagine is a bit of a challenge in that uh, for pizza to be kosher, it can't have meat and cheese mixed. So you just have vegetarian pizza, right? But like they get really creative because ultimately it's like, okay, how many cheese pieces can you make? And like, yeah, like a half and a half, like one half has cheese on it and the other half has meat on it. 
Yes, but it was made in a different pizza oven, and a rabbi made sure it was allowed. <laughs> this yeah, I is think the I, pizza rabbi. Exactly. <laughs> the Jewish pizza hey, maker. They, they graduate a lot of people from rabbinical seminary every year, and those people have mm. to have jobs. So, you know, it's like, you're going to be a pizza <laughs> rabbi? I mean, like, hey. Yeah, they've automated most of the rabbi jobs away. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like, what do you what do you, what do you really... I mean, in the grand scheme of things, being the pizza rabbi at least has a tangible occupation as opposed to like, I'm a tech futurist. It's like, what the fuck do you do besides cocaine? I mean... That, Kombucha. Yeah. True. Kombucha and cocaine, my new clothing brand. Um, but I just imagine the ad being like, look, we've all tried making pizza at home. It's messy. It makes your kitchen dirty. It upsets your wife. Why not order a pizza from us where we squeeze the pizza right from the bag as it's being delivered to you? So, I mean, what, what really gets me about this is that when Silicon Valley has too much money, too many VC firms, and too many people convinced that like every dumb idea is the next big thing to make a ton of money, like the next Uber, which famously doesn't make money, like because this is an idea. Hey, what if your pizza? What if your what if your pizza was made in your car? What if your car was a pizza oven? Uh, that it's effectively, I don't know how to say this. Like it, it would be better left. It would it, in two thousand and two. It would have just been a really dumb idea. And MTV's pimp my ride like exhibit. Like hey yo dog, I, th- I heard you like pizza, so we put a, a pizza <laughs> oven in your car so you can eat pizza while you drive. And uh, but no, actually somebody sank money into this thinking that it would somehow make them rich. Yeah, and the problem is it has and it will. I was going to say my favorite part of the, of the whole like pimp my ride stuff was like when they used to put TVs in the in like the in the boot of the car. So you can be like, hey, dog, I heard you like suicide videos. So you can watch them while you get carbon monoxide. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but- I, was, I was always thinking, like, like, why, like, in what situation would you actually watch TV from the back of your car? Right. Like, I don't understand. It's so you no, Hussein, of course, you wouldn't get this. It's so that if you're having sex in a layby, you won't get bored. Right. OK. OK. Um, anyway, so that's that's the pizza. That's the pizza van, people. Uh, but don't worry, it's not going to be only a pizza van because CEO Alex Garden has said Zoom is positioning itself as more of a platform than a company, uh, rather, and will and will be uh, aiming to extend to every piece of uh, food and kitchen hardware it can possibly get its hands on. So I hope you enjoyed uh, good food while you had it, because soon this is going to be all there is. Mm. So uh, in more, um, let's say quirky news. Um, the, uh, the, the landlord population of the United Kingdom has finally gotten together to assert its interests against a general public that has been altogether too dismissive in recent years. Oh, finally, they've unionized to <laughs> rise up against the jackboot of oppression. Disaffected landlords, I'm reading here from um, like the Landlords Association newsletter, uh, are to, I know, I'm, I hate myself too. Disaffected landlords are to try and launch a mass boycott of businesses that support charity Shelter, which aims to combat homelessness in slum-like housing conditions, starting with B&Q and moving on to Marks and Spencer with others to come. For American listeners, B&Q is kind of Home Depot. Uh, B&Q has helped fund Shelter since last year, and this Christmas plans to raise £25,000 through sales of dolls where at least £2 will go towards Shelter. Like £2 from each, obviously. Those bastards. <laughs> Raising money for a charity. Like the fucking dogs they are. So gets ready, get ready for what's coming because this is genuinely psychotic. Get ready for what's coming because it's us because this article is amazing. <laughs> um, Dr. Ross Beck uh, is quoted in this article as writing uh, B&Q in a letter. I am a private landlord who has known for some time that B&Q has been helping to fund shelter. So far, I have chosen to ignore this unpalatable fact 
but frankly, I have had enough. She's talking about it as though like B&Q is a company she uses that's been like secretly funneling money into like ISIS or something, like some weird, like <laughs> as though sectarian is like some weird, like... It- you know, ISIS fighters, when they return, they need to rent rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and they need to rent high quality rooms. Yeah. And then also they sometimes need DIY supplies because, you know, they're... <laughs> for building things. Uh, I, need the, I need a big saw for the reasons. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she's... Why are you she... buying all these orange jumpsuits? I didn't even know we sold these. It is for Halloween. Why are they Russian? Why is ISIS oh, actually, Russian? Actually, there's staff Russian ISIS. Now, that would be scary. ISIS, but they drink. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, Roz, Dr. Rosbeck goes on. In addition, to ale- in addition to allegedly helping people into housing, we have heard how Shelter and others quote-unquote help tenants remain in their housing by informing them of their legal rights to wait for the bailiffs in case of eviction. A process which oh, has have been... these people no decency. A process which has been ruinous and devastating for landlords. Uh, I'd oh, I'd no. just for just two pounds a month, you can support landlords in your area who have been left with a slightly lower supplementary income as a result of their tenants being allowed their fundamental rights. I just love that that's the point of outrage. It's like, how dare they tell tenants what the law actually allows them to do? It's like, I mean, coming from a city that is just as bad or if not worse when it comes to landlord fuckery, um, in which it's there's always this story in the New York Post somehow, the, the right wing rag tabloid in new york city uh about like the starving landlord the bankrupt landlord the landlord just has no money because the city's just fucking them over and it's always anonymous because they can never find that bankrupt that that starving landlord because it doesn't fucking exist because in the same vein that like if you're a landlord in 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 the united kingdom and you're getting your concern is that you're, you're going to make an economic decision a boycott if you will based on the fact that uh, a charity is stopping people from being homeless. It's like, well, uh, I think Mao was right. Yeah, Mao uh, was right. Yeah, it's um, like they like it's like a landlord who's like Bobby Bacalar. Like he's not able to make his collections because some smartass lawyer from a charity has been telling people they don't have to pay that many points. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, like having having an eight hours a day garage model train hobby is completely something a landlord would do. Yeah. Um, so she goes on. You might think that given the fact that we landlords are the only housing providers in a position to help with homelessness, that shelter wow. would build positive <laughs> relationships with us in order to facilitate this. Instead, they push a relentless anti-private landlord agenda. Oh, it's just weird to have landlords act like furries. You know what I mean? Because it's basically what they're doing. They're like, how dare you kink shame me? I like watching homeless families get kicked out of their houses. And it's like I love taking months to repair a boiler. <laughs> it's one of those gets my dick hard like that. <laughs> it's like I guess it's 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 just funny to me because this is one of those things where people forget that the internet exists and that other people who aren't landlords can read it. Like imagine if they had like a paywall but you had to show that you owned a home. Then this article like like if you owned a building that you rented paywall is the land registry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then like then like this would make sense. But putting this in an open forum, this is just like one of those things when like when I don't know, like if, if if child slavery enthusiasts were like, how dare they? Like, it's just, how dare they tell me this is illegal? <laughs> I will, I am going to stop shopping at William Wilberforce DIY immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the thing. It's this person, not only are they writing this without shame, but they're indignant. They are, yeah. it's like they have somehow in their brain, it has just, they have twisted the world around enough 
that just by sitting on and restricting access to housing, that they're somehow providing some incredible service. And as though Britain never had a social rented sector. It's, it's so good. I mean, like, first they came for the private rental landlords and I did nothing because fuck those guys. <laughs> End of story. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really motivational poem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think, put, I think put, too that you- Put that on LinkedIn, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, you said some. You said something maybe a couple of weeks ago that stuck with me. That um, it was when we were talking about the the Grenfell effigy burners. Yeah. That um, basically, there's a certain sort of I'm working class, hard scrabble landlord. Even if you're a multimillionaire who owns all these buildings, if you were a tradesman in the '70s and then got rich on on right to buy, and now even though literally everything about you puts you in like the top one tenth of a percent of people on who have ever lived on this planet in terms of your wealth, like which is not an unrealistic thing to say. Like when you think about people who are owning millions of pounds worth of property, like that mm-hmm. absolutely does put you in that realm. Um, and they're like, how dare these people not worship the ground we walk on? And it's like it, it's just, it's just strange because it's this critical lack of self awareness, and it, it seems like the kind of if you were nurtured to believe that it's like working mom screwed over by the NHS kind of headline. Like you, you identify yourself as that screwed person over by this one weird trick, <laughs> but then it's like, but you, you are now a rich person and you're acting the way that like you might act if, uh, you know, Morrison's refused to accept your voucher when you're like balls rich and you're yeah. being like, and, and, mm. and it's literally a charity helping people. And he, she, she then says, and this, this is the, this is how you can tell again that she is a boomer because, when like normie boomers try to write something funny, they always write the fuck out of the out of their line. Yeah. Um. She is. She concludes the letter. Um. I have asked that they rename themselves as they provide no shelter whilst demonizing those of us who do. Dang. Sick burn. <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> I mean, you hear I, that shelter? <laughs> yeah. And your mom's a whore. <laughs> so. Meanwhile, I actually did some fact checking. I looked at the shelter website, and they did help twelve thousand households avoid eviction, uh, house fifty four hundred homeless people, and then improve conditions in four thousand houses that had like damp or otherwise unhealthy conditions. So yeah, they do they do fucking nothing compared to um, Doctor uh, Roz Beck. Wait, Roddy, are you saying we can't trust the landlords? <laughs> Is nothing sacred anymore? I have already decided to no longer shop at B&Q for the materials needed for my large portfolio of houses in South Wales. Fantastic. <laughs> what gets me about that, too, is, like, if a charity has to come in to, f- to damp-proof your home, like, what kind of a fucking piece of shit landlord are you? You know what I mean? It's like, mm. I realize, okay, you're a normal landlord in the United Kingdom. Yeah. But still, the idea that you, you would take umbrage with someone saying, like, a charity comes in to help fix the problems that I'm too lazy to fix because I'm a huge piece of shit. That's like, that, that, that's basically like saying I'm mad at janitors. How <laughs> like, because if, if, if janitors in public spaces, like they, they're doing things that people need to learn to do for themselves. It's just like, come now, don't get the povos hopes up. They deserve to suffer. I mean, kind of, that's kind of what they're saying. Mm. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, it's like who created the conditions for shelter? I wonder, was, was it, that was it a skyrocketing skyrocketing housing cost because of course the landlords say well because of all of these um unreasonable rules put on us by you know the government lobbied by groups like shelter we can't you know we can't have eight people live in a single bedroom we need to provide decent standards of housing which is what's making it too expensive but it means that they haven't thought just like all conservatives because all landlords are tories um 
even if they vote labor, they are Tories by virtue of being a landlord. I mean, the person who writes this article is basically like, you might see homeless people sleeping rough on the street, but how do you think it feels when you have to clean up the tea stains they made on my carpet? I mean, right. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, those are the same. But what it, the other thing is like, they haven't, they just say, well, the, if the government's going to legislate that we need to provide decent housing, we have to make it more expensive so we can keep our profit margins. And they've never really squared the circle that only one element of that equation is completely socially unnecessary. Also, I want to point this out for our 40% of listeners who are in the United States. Mm. Fuck landlords. Don't get me wrong. Fuck landlords. But in the United States, landlords have to pay pay property taxes. They don't in the United Kingdom. They absolutely don't. So if you're a Mm. landlord, if you've got the money in the United Kingdom to own a property that you are then renting, you're making ridiculous money. And yes, you're paying, you're paying taxes on the money you make in rent. But if you're a corporation, which you probably have incorporated, because it's very easy to do in this country, for mm. your investment property, you're paying, what, 19% tax on it? And it's like... So basically, you, the landlord's squeezing more and more money out of people in this country. Like You can't even justify that it's somehow the money that they're making is going to pay for more services, because it's not. Because the landlords aren't paying council tax in the fucking properties that they own. Their, their tenants are. Mm. So... Landlords is a venal class that must be destroyed. Like the way landlords act in this country and what they get away with, it doesn't even like it's nuts for an American because you realize that they're just whiny babies. Mm. Like they're not, there's no argument of, of, of there's this being like, oh, well, we provide a valuable service. Like, no, actually, you hoard access to a valuable service and everything you get is skimming off the top and like you literally give back nothing. Yeah. You don't even yeah. like, you can't even make the argument like, oh, well, they, they, they might charge a lot in rent, but that pays for schools. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. The people they're ripping off pay for the schools. I think the solution for this is to have, uh, you know, people driving around in vans that are manufacturing <laughs> shelter as they go and delivering it to people who need it in a timely and cost efficient fashion. I just find uh, the whole you- thing really funny. Like, just the boycotts that they're doing are just so, like, stupid and twee. Like, we're, we're gonna, <laughs> oh, yes. we, you know, we're going to boycott B&Q, right? It's like, well, I, 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 I just don't understand what, what any of the logic behind any of this is, right? Or like, we're going to boycott mm. Marks and Spencer. Oh, well, how many of these fucking landlords are actually doing like the construction work in their own properties? Well, right, too? Right, it's right, like, right. I'm going to boycott B&Q. Yes. I won't buy a box of nails from them every six years. Right. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> like it, as if like you're, what you're not doing is just like, you know, paying builders cash in hand. And like mm. you know, looking away when they're kind of like skirting no. around regu- like building regulations and stuff. So the other thing I'd like to point out is that the National Landlords Alliance, who's uh, organizing this boycott, and this is going to tell us a lot about what what kinds of people landlords are. The National Landlords Alliance was set up by Liverpool landlord Larry Sweeney, partly in protest against the existing landlord association. He sounds like a sim- wow. He, sound, he, nice. sa- he sounds like a simple of Star Wars episode one. No, it's that these are essentially these are just all um you know caddy. These are all a con- like caddy self obsessed um uh, heroes in their own mind, right? Like these are people who are providing an incredible, wonderful service by sitting on housing stock. And so they can never subordinate themselves to another landlord association. They, they, they had to, found, to form a new landlord association in protest because like, banning asbestos? But what about all the asbestos workers? This is unconscionable. This is so... <laughs> no, no, I, th- you know, I, think, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think, you've got the, I think you've got this one wrong. I think this is probably a neighborhood watch dispute. And someone... <laughs> And so and this is this is a social club dispute. This is a, a, an argument over what kind of sandwich to get, and people who are so obsessed with their own sort of heroic position in society that they can't bear so, like 
even organizing together, let alone submitting to anyone else's authority. I love the idea yeah. of a neighborhood watch association that feuds over a tiny thing, and then like a year later, like there's Jabba Al Nusra in that neighborhood. Like yeah, it's yeah. turned into like a full on <laughs> full on civil war. Honestly, like the thing is, two I, rival militias. <laughs> it is, it, I, I, I'm pretty sure that if anything is identity politics for landlords, having a factional dispute between landlords' advocacy associations is identity politics for landlords. Well, then, of course, there was the Landlords Federation who launched themselves into space <laughs> to negotiate a new, a new, and of course, the a new pe- agreement with the Imperial Senate. And of course, the Then, of course, don't forget the, uh, the the United Landlords Front. The United Front of Landlords, the Democratic Landlord, Landlord Lads Alliance, <laughs> the land- and, and, and and of course, like the faction of landlords, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the Landlords Union bracket M M dash L. Let's not. For, let's also not forget um, the, the Association of Landlords in the Levant, Association of Landlords in the Arabian Peninsula, yeah. Landlord Freedom Fighters, <laughs> Abu Bakr Al Bag Landlord, and then somehow they all get destroyed by Foxtons, uh, who, who, have been, like, who have actually been like a secret militia this whole time, and no one's paid attention to us. You're, you're just you're you're waiting for ten days for someone to come in and repair the Kaaba so people can do Hajj again. For fuck's sake! No. <laughs> Foxtons never went away. Their power was merely growing. I could feel it. In I feel the like force. I, I, what I, you I don't feel realize like, is that- I feel like Foxtons is really really is like the British version of the League of Shadows. No, Fox. <laughs> I was just going to make a joke that that Foxins derives all its support from the fact that there's a Russian naval base near its headquarters in Burnmouth, and so like no one's willing to take a nuclear strike on Foxins. So <laughs> it's just like in the at the end, you really can't force an endgame in the landlord wars without Foxins being in power. So um, <laughs> there are two two comments because this letter has a comment section. Oh boy, does it have a comment section that I want to pull out? Yeah. Comment number one, and let me get through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. What a great letter. Should the likes of MS expect my custom when they are supporting an organization with a hardcore socialist agenda, which in turn is hamming my company and my customers? I am fully in favor of supporting the homeless, but not via a vehicle with a political anti-landlord agenda. I will now be buying my lunchtime sandwich elsewhere. Fuck. Well, shit. <laughs> MS will be quaking in their boots at that one. I like that he's like, I'm all in favor of uh, like fucking um, housing the homeless, but not through any like political action. I'm only in favor of housing the hamlets. Through- housing the hamlets? <laughs> housing the hamlets. <laughs> the small hams that live on the street. <laughs> all, all, all the failed actors who've only done Shakespearean work, they need to be housed. They're homeless right all now. The, they're, they're, all the tiny, tiny pigs that live on the streets of our town. I want to house them. Not but Politically, but only using thoughts and prayers. Yeah. What this remind what this reminds me of is the. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to credit the guy because if you steal a tweet for a podcast, well, for one, then you're you're you're, you're <laughs> don't, 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 don't. Would you steal a tweet? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was I want to say it was at Crushing Bort years ago made a tweet and he said I'm I'm politically conservative. I'm, I'm politically liberal but socially cons- no I'm an idiot. I'm really tired. He says I'm fiscally conservative but socially liberal. The problems are bad, but their causes are really good. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. It's like, I, I want to solve homelessness, but not through political no, means. Not through anything that would inconvenience me. I'd like someone else to solve homelessness uh, doing and taking away someone else's resources well, because, to solve it. Because there's no yeah. there's no political cause of homelessness. No. Everyone who lives on the street is just a, an aspiring bear grills, and they're trying to prove themselves no. and yeah. still be relatively close to civilization. Everyone who lives on the street is like a classic style 1930s hobo with a flower growing out of their like um, a top hat where the pop is topped off like a, like a soup can. Well, there actually is a big rock candy mountain and yeah. uh, they just go there and, you know, exactly. eat, eat delicious food and drink alcohol. So here's, here's the second comment. Um, and again, you're going to have to let me get through this one. It's a little long, okay. but I promise it's worth it. 
it's high time the public were made aware as the skullduggery going on against landlords and how these pernicious actor actions only make it harder and more expensive for landlords to provide homes at affordable rates for tenants. If you were interested in helping people in housing, you would, if you had a clue how it all works, embrace the private rent sector, which provides 5 million good households for families through thick and thin, attack after attack, costly piece of useless legislation after another, all while raising the cost of providing rental homes and therefore rents. The idea that a company we pay over 100 million pounds a week to for materials can go behind our back and support our enemies that are intent on doing us incredible harm all while pretending to help be helping the homeless is bizarre and has to stop. Double standards, <laughs> double standards and no standards should be exposed as, as should the faux charity shelter who carry on their destructive rhetoric, which destroys housing available for the less fortunate, yet sucks 60 million pounds from the government, B&Q, M&S, and many others with such ease. Yet little is gained from the large S other than families being res- evicted as a direct result of shelter's actions. Immoral low-life spongers. Wow, there's so there's so much going on there. I mean, like it reads a bit like a Trump tweet. It has that same kind of deranged like. But I also enjoy that like we spend a hundred million pounds a week in B and Q, and it's like they're gonna like Brexit from B and Q and spend a hundred million pounds a week on the homeless <laughs> instead. Also, I just like that nothing is gained yet li- the the largest other than families being evicted as a direct result of shelter's actions, as though shelter is coming in and evicting families. Yeah. Because shelter is a homeless charity, so there needs to be more homeless people for shelter to get more money. So as, you know, as, as we know, it all makes sense. As we know, shelter really is like the coordinator be- between be- uh, behind the biggest lobby in the UK, otherwise known as big homelessness. <laughs> in the frayed pocket of big homelessness. <laughs> also, I- immoral low-life spongers. Yeah, famously, people who work in the charity sector are spongers, unlike landlords. Yeah, absolutely. Unlike landlords, landlords don't even. They, I've never used a sponge. <laughs> what are they talking about? In my in my landlord business, I'm a strictly flannel guy. Very occasionally, one of those like uh, poofy things on a string, but uh, or a back brush, but never a sponge. No, never a sponge. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, so that's the. Uh, I don't even call him SpongeBob. I just call him Bob <laughs> in protest. So that's the so that's the landlord letter. They're very very angry that uh, shelter dares help people not be homeless or help people live in good conditions because then they might not be able to buy so many ivory back scratchers. I'm now just imagining like a actual like radical Islamist version of shelter, which is like the one they imagine in their heads. And it's like the memory TV version of shelter where they're like, how will the homeless acquire these houses through jihad? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the kind of jihad we can get behind on Trash Future. Hell yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, a jihad being fomented in Europe, um, I want to talk about uh, Steve Bannon, the man who answers the question, what if you put Frosty the Snowman's magic hat on a pile of old meat? Mm. The answer? It's not a snowman, fascism. it's a snow person. <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot Hussein's Ripper. near enough to Canada that he has to follow its language rules. <laughs> no, yeah. no, but also, also that guy, Mark Dice, who got really mad <laughs> about... Um, about. Uh, oh, yeah, he's the, the weird fash right guy who's just like, oh, it, it, you can't call it a snow person, it's a snowman, say it with me. It's a man, it has a dick, it's gendered as male, I want to suck it. Oh, wait, I, did I say that out loud? Anyway, Trump's my big president, I want to suck his dick, too. My big snow president. <laughs> um, yes, so... Uh, <laughs> So Steve Bannon is lar- is back in the political limelight uh, in Europe this time again. Ooh, and this is going to become the sequel. It's Juice Bigelow too, European Gigolo. <laughs> so this is going to become abundantly clear. He is not in the limelight due to at all being politically effective or relevant. Yeah, good. Yeah, excellent. He's never really has. So a little background. I'm sure most people know, but let's run through the background. Mm-hmm. He was an investment banker. He spent a decade making polemical films to enthuse American conservatives. So like 
he basically was like Dinesh D'Souza's producer or equivalent. Yeah, he he made he made videos that were like Z grade bad. I mean, they were like technically accomplished, but they they never got into wide distribution because they're just like um, to 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 paraphrase Matt Christman, they can never be entertaining because they're so angry at everything that like they collapse mm. under the weight of their own insane anger. Oh yeah, yeah. And he doesn't even a, own a map. He made a lot of movies, and they're like they're they're all basically about how either Islam is taking over Europe or the Clintons are a secret crime cabal. Oh, so he's fascist, yeah. Tyler Perry. Yeah, I, that's like that's like yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I would be wary of comparing him to Tyler Perry because just because like. Tyler Perry may be bad, but he's not uh, as insane. I, he I is like prolific. He is prolific, but I, I would say it's more like um, these are worse than Tyler Perry movies. How to how to phrase this? He's like fascist ooh a bull. <laughs> okay, like he, that was just a sound. I don't know who that is. He's a German horror movie director who makes terrible. He movies. makes a movie of every video game. And anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. So anyway. He ran the, the last couple of months of Trump's campaign and then lasted eight months in the White House, forced out in August 2017. And mm-hmm. just to remember, this is someone who is constantly, who is, pushes an openly white nationalist agenda and is constantly invited to every single respectable liberal institution anytime they do anything because they think it's very, very important that people hear his views and get them debunked. I also mm-hmm. think something that's really important to bring up about Steve Bannon that doesn't get addressed very often is that Steve Bannon's position in the limelight in any capacity, Steve Bannon's ability to influence people is solely dependent on the credulity of liberals who believe that because he has the, the imprimatur of these institutions that he's been a part of, mm-hmm. that he is somehow qualified in any meaningful sense yes. because he was a Navy officer because he went to Harvard business school because he worked at Goldman Sachs because he was he's made conservative grift money doing his weird documentaries um, mm. and because he worked at Breitbart that yeah. somehow these are all things that have you know that, that, that have value and thus like Steve Bannon must know what he's talking about but like you might get a kick out of this that mm. Steve Bannon is constantly finding ways to get journalists to print this line that um, that he's so widely read. He's just this insane Svengali who's super widely read, who's like, you know, read all the classics. And then they constantly reference one classic. They constantly reference uh, Thucydides, the Peloponnesian War. And apparently nice. this is what Steve Bannon's take on the Peloponnesian War is. He's constantly finding ways to say, we should make a Trojan horse. And that's it. Wow. Oh boy. He literally- a Famous th- element of the Peloponnesian War. <laughs> this is like Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon's intellect is basically a combination of like, like a, an enormous Adderall fueled late night Wikipedia bit. Have you ever seen his writing? Because there was that that mm-hmm. BuzzFeed article that that basically they they got all of Milo Yiannopoulos' emails were like, you know, ostensibly liberal journalists were like fanboying him, and there were a ton of emails in his inbox from Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon writes like an incredibly angry middle schooler typing on like a Nokia phone, like texting, where like there's Brilliant. obviously a time saving aspect of like using abbreviations. He's clearly a fucking idiot. Yeah. Mm. And let's just, can we, and he also like gets, so he always gets invited to speak at the Economist's New World event or the New York Times Festival of Ideas. The National or, Landlord Federation keynote. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the uh, most recently, the Oxford Union, which if any of you are familiar with the Oxford Union should honestly come as no surprise. It's a fundamentally fascist organization. Yeah. Before the Oxford Union, Oxford had no way of campaigning for better wages for itself. <laughs> <laughs> so and this is <laughs> just to sake. cap off the, you cap off the who is Steve, reminding us all who Steve Bannon is. Uh, this is actually a quote from Donald Trump on Steve Bannon from um, that book, Fire and Fury. Uh, Steve pretends to be at war with the media, which he calls the opposition party. Yet he spent his time at the White House just leaking false information to the media to make himself seem more important than he was. It's the only thing he does well. So basically, wait, that's that's way too cogent to have been said by Donald so, Trump. So, so, that was so, like a full so, sentence. So, so Steve yeah. Bannon, Steve Bannon is basically just like a very like a, a slightly competent PR person 
the same type of PR person who like sends us emails every day about cryptocurrency or like Bluetooth enabled like pizza vans. Yeah, to all the PR people who are doing that, keep doing that. It's funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, he has been basically abandoned by everyone who actually matters in politics, everyone who represents anything, except the liberal media, which keeps platforming him because they want their how dare you, sir, moment. Well, also, Steve Bannon's candidates, the, one that, the ones that he endorses, um, I don't know as, if, he, if he helped. I mean, I think that he was involved helping out with uh, Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil and with... Um, he, he claims he was, but then... Um, but then anytime his son apparently met with him, I think anytime but, but he's actually, knows? yeah, mm. but that's the thing. We're going to get into this in the sort of, in the more but, details. But, 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 let me, yeah. but, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, is that everything about Steve Bannon is like, it's like WWE. Like they're having to create this idea that he's the supervillain, And the only people who fall for it are liberals because they're convinced mm. that he's so smart because only smart people go to Harvard. You mm. know what I mean? Exactly. Like, and, and only smart people could have beaten us. It's like when, um, mm. it's, it's like, like Jared, when Homer Jared, wins his Jared Kushner. Extremely smart dude. Yeah, blazing it all day long. Um, so this is his new plan. He wants to take his brand of radical right wing populist politics, and he wants to transplant it to Europe. And it's called the movement. Europe wow. famously never knew racism before Steve Bannon showed up. No, Steve Bannon invented racism here. Uh, he says <laughs> so the other day, my dad suggested that it was like the fault of the EU that there were like far right parties in Germany and Austria. And I was like, oh, yes, Germany and Austria, countries with no history of far right <laughs> politics. <laughs> Certainly not one that predates the EU in any way. Uh, so he so credit to The Guardian. They did write this really good long form article about Steve Bannon that I think writes about him in the right way, which is that they don't refer to him as some evil genius who's tapped uniquely into this sense of a revitalized right wing and that he somehow has a causal force driving it. No, they, they don't do that. They do just say he is kind of a puffed up moron who just gets off of media appearances that everyone has just tripped over their dicks and thinks is smart now. Fine, whatever. But it's part of a much larger Guardian special feature on populism that contained a whole bunch of just pants on head stupid shit. Like they had a, um, a, a populism chart where they put Evo Morales to the, le- to the right of Barack Obama, which just doesn't make any fucking sense. And then they also published an article by Hillary Clinton, who basically just did do like the, the thing where she just said, look, the center left has to get racist if it wants to fight the right. We need to you know, beat them by giving them everything they want. And then if we become them, then the voters won't need them. Right. Like this kind of shit's getting printed in this special. But it's, it's so that's why I find it's almost weird that the Steve Bannon piece was actually, I think, very strong and critical and well reported. We might talk more about the populism special in other episodes, but I really wanted to focus on the Bannon one today. Steve Bannon is like, what if your dad was Blade, but also a gamer? (laughs) (laughs) Steve Bannon Bannon talks like a villain in a Metal Gear Solid game, like in in like the early Metal Gear Solids, like where there's a certain extent to which like it has to follow the coherent plot, but also like none of it, 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 it's done for effect and you don't get the references. Like Steve Bannon basically... If Steve Bannon showed up and like the one villain in Metal Gear Solid 2 uh, was throwing bombs at you while rollerblading around, but you had to, like, the only way to defeat him was that he would periodically, he would very, very, very cyclically take breaks to eat a hamburger, and that was when his guard was down. Like, (laughs) if he did that, people... People in, in, in establishment media would be very, very worried, but, like, I wouldn't be surprised because uh-huh. he's just... The man wears two fucking shirts all the time. This is what, like, I, this is what I was going to ask, right? I was like, 
how 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 is how is no one how why has no one answered this question about why this man wears t-shirts? Like why? Like, he calls it beach style. Apparently, it's some weird '80s preppy thing where no. like you wear two shirts. No, it's it's he he learned it on Beach Week. No, he's he's just making all this shit up. It's so insane. Like most people on the beach wear like wear no shirt. So his thing was like he did research and like on the shirt, like he was doing it like an algorithm. Like uh, on the shirt on the beach is the number of shirts people wear equal to one? No. Oh, they must be wearing two shirts. (laughs) Yes, I can see the practicalities of that for swimming to have an extra layer of shirt between you and the ocean. So he's saying, why why Europe? Why is he in Europe? Um, He says, I'm a populist and an American nationalist, and I always want what's best for the United States. But I'm also of German descent and Irish descent. <laughs> and my business interests were here. I virtually lived in London for the 90s. I sold my bank to a French bank. And I've got a great affinity for the working class people of Europe. Oh, yeah. There's nothing more working class than selling, selling your, your bank. bank. <laughs> <laughs> but he also is totally... <laughs> I, I, too, was a member of the National Landlords Federation. <laughs> I, I barely ever shop at B&Q or M&M. And also, he's, he's doing, he's doing, the, uh, he's doing the, the thing of, yeah, I'm a little bit German and a little bit Irish. You know, he's doing the, the identity politics for white but Americans But if you thing. can't handle me at my worst, you sure as hell don't deserve me at my best. That famous quote from George Orwell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, wear, he's, he's wearing two, um, two algorithmically generated shirts. Well, also something I'd say about Steve Bannon that doesn't get mentioned a lot is that, um, like... Not only is he a disgusting slob, but also he uh, he famously abused his wife, like physically. Um, and a couple of details that, that from profiles I've read on him, um, you know, he like attacked his wife. He famously got in an argument with his wife, saying he didn't want his daughters going to. He basically tried to make his wife have an abortion when she got pregnant at forty-two, because he's like, I don't want my daughters to be. He was convinced they were going to be mentally disabled. Which they weren't, but basically he was like, "You have." I mean, when your dad is Steve Bannon, there's quite a high job. He was trying. He's, he's tried to get his wife to basically sign like a sort of prenuptial style agreement, like some kind of a contract that if they got medical tests done, uh, prenatal work done, and it determined that like the children weren't that, like she was going to have an abortion. Uh, he like attacked her over the fact that like his their daughters were going to go to a girls' school in Los Angeles. He's like, "There's too many Jews there. I don't want them to be whiny Jews." Um, He's insane. Have you seen those vans they have? <laughs> he, rent, he and his wife rented a house that apparently the landlord tried to take him to court because someone had poured acid in the bathtub in the jacuzzi outside. Damn, that, now, I don't know why this sounds familiar. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he was doing with that jacuzzi in my Obama voice. I don't know what he was doing in that jacuzzi, but it couldn't have been good. What one if, man does in his jacuzzi is his right according to the Constitution. <laughs> Thank if, you. That's all I'll say on the matter. May, if you like your dead body, you can dissolve it. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> so maybe the, the thing is, that, maybe the landlord was worried that he'd have to go to B and Q and replace the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's the thing is, is, is just that Steve Bannon's understanding of working class anything is as superficial as his understanding of European politics. Well, look, it's it's Steve Bannon is his understanding of the working of any working class anywhere is basically Milo's fake Brendan O'Neill article. That's that's that is literally his understanding. <laughs> um, so. I mean, he's right. He's right. He read it. He thought it was very good. He's right that you can basically, you can keep above a passing grade if you just be really racist in politics in Europe, in politics in America. Hell, you could go to a society that's basically like, you know, monocultural with no immigration and you just be really, really racist. Like you'll probably succeed. You will find someone. Famously good at this. And so it's just one of those things where I, I just don't understand why this is passed off as any kind of analysis. Well, I mean, it's, all of Bannon's books so, are just the natural successor to Tan Tan O'Kong. So, 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 so I've got a theory about this. Not really a theory because it's kind of like pretty self-evident, but it's one that is quite telling of like our time. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching 
that into because like obviously the YouTube algorithm has made me racist. So like I keep getting recommendations from like Sargon of a CAD's like YouTube channel. And he had done this interview with Steve Bannon when Steve Bannon was in the UK. Um and like the interview is the interview is like boring in the sense that like he's saying what he said and everything. But one like his main argument well his main arguments when like he talks about what you know his movement or his philosophy is is pretty much just like very standard like social democratic like leftism um so the, you know the, the things that he attribute you know he obviously he kind of cloaks things up in like all the elites and you know um you know elites uh being out of touch and everything but really at the core of his argument is um you know about the corruption of finance and about how you know, finance is, is distributed uh, unfairly and um, unequally. And this has created a society where, you know, rich people do very, very well and poor people um, do not do very, very well. Like, the, you know, do you know what I mean? Like the disparity is really high, right? Now, these are all points that, you know, leftists have made like for ages. You know, we talk about this almost every episode and yet we're not invited onto Newsnight and, is it because we don't wear pants when we record? Maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, there was that time you were invited on Sky News to talk about whether coffee was a soup. Oh, yeah. so, I mean, that's the almost one, as good. The one, time, the one time we were invited <laughs> on success. to talk about whether coffee was a soup. <laughs> but, do, 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 but do you know what I mean? Like, I think I, I sort of wonder whether it's like, you know, the way that he packages it is so, you know, because like these points about, you know, corrupt banks and about like, you know, um, rigged markets and, you know, uh, the need for like social democratic institutions or, you know, more, you know, like, you know, a, a more kind of like leftist politics. Like when people from like Navarra or like us, you know, speak about this stuff, we're like often dismissed by, you know, the centrist columnists. But when Steve Bannon makes the argument, albeit with like a peppering of like, yes, we love, so I love social democracy, but I would really just prefer it if only white people had it. Um, it, remind, it reminded me a lot of like the early period when like Richard Spencer was like, um, heralded as this, like you know, the, the dapper hipster who had some fresh ideas about how to like reinvigorate the right. Well, something I was thinking too is when Bannon said, "I'm a Leninist, I want to smash the system." That was like a completely banal thing to say, but it was treated like like it was this clarion call for the right. Like people were like, "Oh my god, he's such a deep thinker! Wow, he's a revolutionary." Whereas like. Ash goes on fucking Good Morning Britain and says I'm a communist, and everyone's like, "Look at this girl who knows nothing about communism." Like it's just <laughs> it's bizarre to see how one person is treated like one person is treated as basically like a very very serious figure, no matter what he says. Another person can't be treated seriously, no matter how serious what it is they're talking about. Yeah. Steve and- Bannon is a Leninist in the sense that he needs a team of scientists to work around the clock injecting formaldehyde into his body to stop it from rotting. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Peterson's were saying, like, do you remember when, like, the, when uh, those pictures came out where, like, he has, like, Soviet paintings all over his house? Um, and everyone was like, wow, this, this guy's so deep. He doesn't, he's not right or left. He's just his own dude. Um, and, like, what, then when many when he said, oh, yeah, I hang, I hang, so, I hang art around my house that I dislike. Um, so, so that I'm reminded of pain and suffering. <laughs> Look, the thing is, liberals seem like they always want to take fascists more seriously than socialists as an alternative to their politics um, for, I mean, a lot of reasons. But I think one of the main ones is that the liberals want to see themselves as both sort of right and good, and that to them, the fascists are easy to embody as something evil, whereas 
if they want to sort of try to rebuke the claims of socialism, they can't do so from the perspective of doing something that's obviously good, right? If they're saying, oh, well, we, we don't want, say, Medicare for all in the states, or we don't want um, a looser immigration policy here, then they're the bad guys. So liberals love contending with, with fascists because then they get to be the good guys. And like, conversely, it means that if they, they have to then dismiss socialism as unrealistic and unattainable and almost more like a hobby. It's why I think a lot of them don't think that you know, socialism is really done by anyone other than white bros who are experimenting and you know the, the girls who want to be um, in on it and do like what the boys like, right? It's just, if they take it seriously, they have to admit that they're going to want the bad thing occasionally. And I don't think that they can do that to themselves because fundamentally deep down, they're all self-regarding hall monitors. But, but also, Steve Bannon is able to command an audience because of some strange hypnosis and deep, deep learning and you know, his, his encyclopedic knowledge of all the subject matter of political science and theory mm-hmm. and such, which is complete bullshit. We know that he's a fucking idiot and that he, if he's read these books, he's skimmed them or he, he was made to read them in classes and has never read them again. Like, but Steve Bannon can win adherence because of his, he, he, because he's the fucking hypnotoad from goddamn Futurama, right? Yeah. Not because liberal politics has failed. That can't be true. There's no way that like neoliberal consensus and just like the grinding, you know, just destruction of the welfare state and the, 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 the shit world, the shit future that we're making for ourselves and for our descendants. You could like, call it a trash future. <laughs> that, that, that it was like wow, we really do live in a society. No, it's just more that, that none of that none of that can play into it in any way because liberal politics is correct. Like it's yeah. the only correct politics. There is no politics besides it. So Steve Bannon must just be doing some really sexy things with his multiple shirts that's just convincing people to go his way. And it's like, mm. uh, well, he's promising like what Milo said. He, he, I think it was you that said it right. That basically Steve Bannon wants the equivalent of social democracy, but for whites only. Yeah, it was Hussein said that. Yeah. Oh, Hussein said that. Well, yeah. uh, Hussein, I just took your words and credited them to a white person because I'm, I'm everyone <laughs> who works in media. Damn, it, it, it was it, a documentary. It, it, it's, fine. It, it's, it's fine because, like, you know, as, uh, as, as the token minority on this show, uh, it's something that I'm very much used to. So, <laughs> sort of c- carrying on into the actual political effectiveness of Bannon's movement in Europe, um, so the, uh, the Tim, uh, it's three, it's three of them really. Um, it's Bannon, a guy called uh, Modrakaman, and then Rahim Kassam. Ah, yes, uh, the boy. Which, yeah. Oh, big, big R. Hussain's brother. So they agreed they would not. They agreed they would not do business with Jobbik or Golden Dawn, the most far right parties in Hungary or Greece. Uh, yeah. But then they ran into trouble over where to draw the line when recruiting parties that have uh, neo-Nazi links or post-fascist roots into their unified campaign to like dissolve the EU from within. Golden like, Dawn sounds like a breakfast cereal from like Maoist China. That's, that's also very interesting. Oh, real inter- we're gonna Golden, we are going Golden to, Dawn sounds like a Tony like a, to, a Tony Robbins book. Um, what what I'm what I'm noting though is like yes, of course, interesting. We ran into trouble trying not to recruit fascists, you know, because they they are always trying to toe that particular line. Mm. But I think it's we should. I don't want to say take heart, right? But note that Bannon's project has actually failed to recruit anybody except here to Wilders in the Netherlands, right? Well, he, like, has spent, uh, he has spent millions of dollars. He always stays in the most extremely expensive hotels, booking media interview after media interview after media interview, where he basically is like, I'm Sun Tzu Machiavelli to all of these bewildered mm-hmm. and credulous journalists who then, all in all, four months on, 
The offices of the mo- of the movement are empty. The operation has no website. It has one member of staff, and um, it has one MP on side. That's millions of dollars and tons of high profile press coverage. And that's what these clowns have been able to pull together. It's like well, as it's Sun like, Tzu it's like said, every, it's like everyone who's tried to set up a centrist party or like a centrist think tank. But it's just weird because like there's not really there, there's no appetite for centrism in the UK, but there's an absolute centri- there's an absolute appetite for far right reactionary politics. So the idea like they're they're basically they're 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 going it's like they joined the children's league of sports and they're still fucking losing. Well no there actually is definitely an appetite for centrism in the UK. It's just there's an appetite for a centrist electorate on the part of, you know, MPs who are trying to start their 40th centrist party. But the thing but the thing is is like because so I think so much of far right stuff is like it's kind of personality driven. So Obviously, you guys will be more aware of this than I, I will, but I woke up this morning and the first bit of news I saw was that Tommy Robinson has now become the grooming advisor for UKIP. Um, yeah, he checks, he checks out their style, does the crap <laughs> checks, uh, he's like, pulls little he, flies he, off of them and eats them. He's, he, he's, he, he, he's, um, he's like the Jonathan Van Ness of, of, of UKIP. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, so like, but like, this is the thing, right? So like UKIP, UKIP were obviously trying to recruit him for a long time. And the idea being that number one, like Brexit really isn't something that they can win on anymore. Um, so now they're mm. deciding that, okay, well, we're going to win on racism and who else to pick then you know the guy that everyone's and you know the, the thing about tommy robinson is that he's not he's a racism ringer well he's also like a big economy right so like one of his old one of his like former producers said to the times newspaper earlier this year that like everyone wanted to kind of be around tommy robinson because they knew that if they were in his orbit then they'd be making money right because he was basically a cash cow and they all wanted like a he's piece political dapalos <laughs> no because like he's da- also da- good at mortgage fraud uh, well yes yeah that too um you know the landlords association hate him (laughs) (laughs) but like so um you know what what's really indicative there is that you know so much of like far-right politics is really driven by personalities and you can only go you can only go a certain way with that and like steve bannon was never going to be that guy despite the fact despite how much like the media tried to portray him as like the dark prince um you know he was always just going to be this like weird kind of lizard looking like oaf right who like in any other universe would just be that guy in like a dingy irish pub who won't shut up about like how the first slaves were white uh <laughs> steve bannon was created to make david ike look more credulous like. <laughs> <laughs> um right you know, but I- there's very there's very few of these characters and i think in europe you know in europe there's very few of them as well so you know the the thing that you know the thing that we should hold on to is the fact that like there isn't really a cogent philosophy behind this movement and it's why like the movements like quote unquote the movement are naturally very limiting um what i think will happen now is because as you as you kind of said in the in um in the last point you made that yeah like you know they can't really create a cogent movement while also trying to avoid kind of you know the 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 super racist parts of it because the super racist parts of it are a core component of that right yeah. Um, and this is exactly Steve- what's happening with UKIP at the moment as Nigel Farage is like, oh, I don't, I don't think that the party should be allying with Tommy Robinson, but it's too late. Like, you know, that stuff always existed and, you know, you indulged it to a point where like now it overshadows any sort of like civil right wing, you know, mobilizing group that you kind of fantasize about. Right. 
basically why do all these neo-Nazis keep showing up at my far right movement politics party is like the 2018 onion article about why all these homosexuals keep sucking my cock. (laughs) 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 Additionally, right? Like it's, it's Gavin McInnes, same thing. He's like, I'm disassociating from the racist street gang I created because they've become classified as a racist street gang. It's just the difference is, is it Steve? They were started as a democratic alliance of football lads. (laughs) What's I think we can take, we can take art from the fact that like, Basically, what's happening is that Steve Bannon is now just making himself completely just fuck up and just eat shit on the world stage repeatedly and constantly because there's one newspaper outlet that's figured out how to cover him properly. Well, the thing is that now Steve Bannon, because of his health, he has to eat the the pizza with no added racism. And they say you can't taste the difference, but you really can. (laughs) It's not as good. So look, and here's the thing. I'm not saying, right? That because Steve Bannon is a huge fuck up and his organization is a complete failure and he's just sort of a, a media prince who likes to quote Wikipedia pages at, you know, moronic journalists. I'm not saying that because of that, the right won't sleep, sweep the European elections. They might. But in, and if they do, just know that a million different liberal institutions from the Oxford Union to the New York Times to whoever are going to race each other frantically to profile report on it, ultimately platform Steve Bannon. But the important thing to remember is that if these people win, it is nothing to do with this sort of second-rate social club of disbarred organ grinders, pyramid scheme salesmen, and um, imprisoned children's magicians. Well, anyway, I mean, Steve Bannon is here tonight. <laughs> I guess I just look at it too, though. That Riley, you're going to love this because I'm going to say, Riley, you were so right all along. But what you said earlier about people think that. They will like David. Was it David Remnick from New Yorker? Yeah, he's going to have his "How dare you, sir?" moment. Exactly that they're going to they're going to debate Steve Bannon and that they're going to defeat him. And it's like Steve Bannon basically insults them on stage, just calls them globalists and elites, starts asking questions about like, well, how many of you have been knocked out in the knockout game? And like, does these things that are sort of like racist dog whistles to appeal to the audience? Like, what happens in those things is that he doesn't really respond substantively to the questions. He certainly isn't taken down or owned. But what he does do is because it's there's such a furore about him being there. It's lots more weird, unfuckable dudes are in the audience getting radicalized by it. Here's the thing. I don't like to credit Steve Bannon with much, but when he's talking to David Remnick or David Frum or who, whatever other sort of fundamentally like liberal interlocutor he has, he always manages to make the same criticism, which is, well, you actually just don't like President Trump. The problem is, is that I actually kind of think he's right because a lot of the criticisms that so that so the, the Frums and the Remnicks and so on mount are that, well, uh, Bannon, you, what you're doing is you're sort of advocating uh, a lot of the policies that sort of we kind of have tacit approval of already. Like a lot of the white supremacy, it's not new to American society. It's just that Remnick and Frum don't like the crassness with which Trump and Bannon are doing it. So the problem is he will always own liberals because ultimately, you know, he's saying, well, all the things that you're saying about us, you just do as well. You just don't like our style. So you have to actually have a coherent more and morally based social justice politics if you want to beat Steve Bannon, like that's just the only way it's ever going to happen. But again, it's unimportant to beat Steve Bannon because he's in irrelevancy. This is just for like if David Frum is listening and is curious as to how not to get owned next time. Representation matters. If you're a weird, unfuckable dude, you can see someone like Steve Bannon on TV and be like, wow, that weird, unfuckable dude has made something. No, he's fucked ide- once. He's at least fucked once. He has yeah. a kid. I it's mean- identity politics for huts from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> he has like a woman chained up in his house. Maybe. Um, that got, that got darker than I thought. Jabba the Hutt is a dark character the like, more you think about it. I'm not saying he does. I'm just asking questions. I'm, like, I'm, still, like, like, you know, I'm still like amazed by the acid in the bath thing and how no one's really asked any questions yeah. about it. I didn't know that they we got a lot of chickpeas down the bath <laughs> hole. Well, okay. well, the, prob- the problem was that somebody tried to bargain him down on something and he said, He's a Jabba no all right, I think that does it for this premium Patreon episode of Tarash Future. Thank you, everybody, for joining me this evening. And have a good, whenever you listen to this, commute maybe. Maybe you're using it to go to bed. Maybe you're on the toilet. At Alex Keeley, tell him what you do when you listen to Trash Future. Um, if you want to commodify your descent, I suggest that you get in contact with Lil Comrade. You can buy a shirt from them. You can print your front of your favorite lines in the show on it. Maybe you could print identity politics for landlords. Or maybe you could print or, something about... What if the cops was your phone? <laughs> what if the cops was your phone, Milo? Um, and uh, finally, don't forget, our theme song is provided by Ginseng. It's called Here We Go, All One Word. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, I suggest that you do. It is a wonderful tune. Anyways, from our family to your family. From the guy household. <laughs> and, from, and, Have a- and, and from this very weird guy abode. Uh, gentleman, <laughs> gentleman's abode in upstate New York. Guy Household's cousin, Guy Abode. <laughs> <laughs>